If you want to support our podcast financially, please visit patreon.com slash IIMBSB. Also, email us with questions or ideas at ifimaypodcast at gmail.com. Today, we're talking to Amanda Clegg, relationship coach and Enneagram practitioner. Join us as we discuss how Enneagram can be used as a tool to help couples better understand each other and a real life example of Dan and I, type four and type nine, moving through conflict together. Today, we'll be talking a fair amount about types four and nine, but head to our Instagram to vote on which types we should discuss next time we have Amanda on. Welcome to If I May Be So Bold, a podcast about relationships. The ones we have with others, the one we have with ourselves. And given that Dan and I are a couple, you're going to be hearing about our relationship too. I'm Dan Epstein, a recording artist, former opera singer, and relational coach. I'm Justin Waring Crane, a therapist, recovering perfectionist, and karaoke star. Our guest today is Amanda Clegg, and Amanda is a relationship coach and Enneagram practitioner who helps couples, individuals, and teens create secure relationships within themselves and with others. Her favorite and most impactful tool to use is the Enneagram, which deepens awareness, understanding, and compassion so that we all can continue to foster meaningful connections in our day-to-day lives moment by moment. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're we're excited. Um, for Justin and I both, Enneagram is something that we like fancy ourselves enthusiasts for, I think. I don't want to speak for you, Justin, but yeah, like still have a lot of learning to do. Um, and you said something when we, we had a little phone chat with you that what you like about the Enneagram as opposed to other frameworks is that it's oriented towards growth, um, which I, that kind of clicked in for me because I do feel like that it is different from like Myers-Briggs, which is one that I'm more familiar with. How did you come to understand that or appreciate that component? I was pretty lucky when I was introduced to the Enneagram and that it was from people who had a lot of integrity in the work that they were doing. So when it was presented to me, it was very much, this is to help you actualize. This is to really help you heal. And I think the Enneagram comes to people when they're ready for it. And if they're ready to receive the depth that it has. And I was very much in a season in my life of just feeling super stuck, repeating the same cycles, wanting more, didn't know what that more was. And then it appeared. And like you said, it's oriented for growth where a lot of other personality systems out there, it very much just offers a list of traits, kind of like, this is who you are now go and be that. And I appreciate things like that as well. I think we can learn a lot from it, but something that I really value and respect in the Enneagram is it's more saying, here's your trauma and here's how to heal from that. Here's how to actually grow. So one of the first things I Mm -hmm. do 
when I take my clients through typing interviews is show them the diagram itself, which can look super confusing Mm -hmm. because it's a circle with all these lines going through it. But the way I describe it is these lines, you don't need to know what they are right now, but it's showing that the system has movement and we go to the points we're connected to for different reasons and we can use them to heal in different ways. So that's probably why I fell in love with it so much is because I am someone who's oriented towards growth. But it also, it speaks for itself, the depth. When you start reading and learning and listening about it, it has a big voice. Yeah. Um, That's cool. Mm -hmm. That's really well succinctly put. Um, Yeah, I think one of the obstacles is in doing an episode about something like Enneagram is like the fact that there are nine types. So each type is a number, one through nine. Um, and uh, you know, I think we were talking about how there's like, there's different sort of ways of naming each type or remembering what each type is, but I'm curious as somebody who knows the system way, way more deeply, is there a way you have of kind of organizing the types in your brain that kind of feel, feels manageable? Mm, great question. It made me think of when I take clients through the typing interview. So that's the first thing that I do. And I show them a diagram at the end, which I'd be happy to uh, pull up and read off of later if you want, or I can send it to you as well and you can post it. But in that, the way I go through the nine types is I like to break it up into one of the triads. So a triad just meaning a group of three. In the Enneagram, there's many different triads, but the first one that I'd like to describe is the centers of intelligence. It's pretty fascinating in that the Enneagram shows us that As humans, we have three brains. So we have our head, we have our heart, and our body, and that's broken up. It breaks up the nine types into groups of three. So we have our body types, which are eights, nines, and ones, so very much leading with that gut instinct. So Justin, have you shared your type before? Am I okay to share it? Oh, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. sure. Uh, So Justin identifies with a nine, so that is very much in the body center. And then heart types are types two, three, and four. So Dan is a fellow four like myself, so very much leading with the emotions. And then we have the head types, types five, six, and seven, so thinking with the mind, logical, more analytical. And that part in itself can be helpful sometimes for typing, uh, but more so it just helps people understand how the system works and a little bit of the depth of that. And one word that I always come back to with Enneagram is balance. So I'm a heart type. I lead with my emotions, but if I'm not balanced in my body and my head, I'm way out of whack. I'm stuck in my type structure. So it gives a good segue into just sharing the importance of balance within Enneagram. But I feel like that's a, a simpler way to break up something that's really complex. Yeah, that definitely helps. How you doing, Justin? I'm good. I'm feeling so much better, actually. Oh, now good. that we're like in the groove, I feel a lot better. I feel like there's so many different ways that we could go, but I know that I want to spend some time with conflict today. Uh-huh. I I wonder if there's some some framings or some if people don't know much about Enneagram, like what are some good entry points or you know, Enneagram knowledge about of Enneagram can really help you when it comes to approaching conflict. So 
you know, maybe even starting with your own relationship to conflict and how Enneagram has shaped that over time. Ooh, okay. So when I was talking earlier about the triads, another one of the really important triads breaks us up into the conflict styles. So there are three types of conflict styles within the Enneagram. So there's three types in each one, just like the centers of intelligence. And there is the reactive types. That's four, six, and eight. There is the positive outlook types, which is two, seven, nine. And there's the competency types, which is one, three, and five. So that language alone, without me even describing what they mean, when I introduce couples to that, I get a lot of nodding and a lot of, oh, wow, okay, that's what's happening here. So you can imagine with reactive types, it's very much this immediacy and wanting to solve. So if you know much about uh, attachment theory, not to say that all four, six, and eights lean anxious, but if you imagine the anxious attacher, it's like, I want to deal with this right away. I want to know that we're okay. Don't leave. Don't walk away. Let's work through it together, which can be really hard. Let's say for competency types, one, three, and five, a five, for example, often needs a lot of space. So that can lean more looking like the avoidant. Fives, when they're really stuck in type structure, can go more into the stonewalling and actually just walk away and not re-engage from their partners. So the competency types are very much cool, calm, collected in conflict. They want to logically, rationally work through everything. And the positive outlook, it's very much finding this happiness this place back to being okay. So for type twos, it's everything's okay. What do you need? For sevens, it's like looking around what problem? There is no problem. Everything's okay. And for nine, it's can we get comfortable again? Can we just resolve this? And can we relax? Can we be good? So even for the two of you, knowing that fours lean more reactive and nines lean more positive outlook, I imagine that I'm seeing some nodding, so you might already <laughs> yeah. have a sense. Yeah, I, I, you know, my therapist, well, one of my therapists, because I feel like I have 7,000 therapists, <laughs> but um, one of them was like, you know, I think you and Dan need to fight more because I think that positive outlook can sort of manifest as, um, you know, not wanting to rock the boat and being like, yeah, like, things are pretty good. Or like, if there is a conflict, like, let's just cut straight to figuring out how to work through it. Um, and that can actually feel kind of reactive, but that was more, I think in my twenties where I was feeling super reactive of like, if there's a problem in the relationship, I need to solve it right now. Whereas I think as I've moved into more of like the healthier nine sometimes. Um, I don't feel as reactive. I feel like, okay, like we'll work through this. Like if Dan and I have conflict, I'm like, I know that we're going to work it out and it doesn't have to be right now. So what you just said is really important. I know that we're going to work it out. What's really necessary to understand about the Enneagram is our type structure is coming from a place of fear 
And then nine's fear itself is of disconnection. So the positive outlook is because they're so afraid, consciously or unconsciously, that if we talk about this, it could mean the end of us. And same with four, the reactivity, the intensity that can show up, it's this deep fear of abandonment. So it's like, if you leave, if you walk away, I mean, as a four, I can just picture that and from my own experiences, it's terrifying. So knowing that when we show up in these ways, is coming from a place of fear. It helps us have a lot of compassion and gives us the space to really work through it. But what you just shared shows me that there's a lot of safety in your relationship. And I love to see yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it can it's it can get so safe sometimes that it just needs a little like yeah. stabilizing. It needs a little like healthy conflict and like you know, that's something that we are working on, but yeah. Yeah, we have shied away, like, especially early on in our relationship. We both, I think, avoided expressing displeasure to each other. Uh, So there was some trust building that kind of had to happen around that. Uh Yeah, it's interesting because with fours, they are known to be really emotionally expressive, but it can feel really scary to share concerns in a relationship because of that fear of abandonment or that fear of rejection showing up, it's almost the thought could almost be, I'm going to be too much for you. If I share this, he might leave and Mm -hmm. he might not accept me if I open up to that capacity. So it takes time to find that comfort and kind of test those waters and realize that who you're with is in it with you. It's scary. Yeah, I want to, because we pu- I pulled up some of your posts. So managing conflict with a type four, you said, challenge them to avoid wounded withdrawal on the one hand and angry outbursts on the other. Stay in the middle ground. When they are upset, don't take everything they say too literally, since it may be only the feeling of the moment. Which I remember in the in the caption of that post, you had some feelings about that one of like, don't take what they say too literally. So I'm really, can you talk about that? Mindful when I share things because I never want our type to be an excuse for behavior. So in the Enneagram, just to clarify a little bit, there's, I use a language of type structure and true self. So Mm. a lot of what you're reading about, I'll say the harder stuff, that's our type structure. That's the wounded parts of us. But as we grow, that's when we connect to our true self. So I get a little bit hesitant sharing things because I I really love learning from some of the greatest teachers in the field. So I think that was from, if I'm remembering correctly, the Enneagram and Love and Work. And sometimes when I share things, it sounds like an excuse for behavior. As a four, and I lead with a sexual subtype, technically speaking, I am one of the most intense and angriest types in the Enneagram. <laughs> Me saying things to my partner that are really hurtful shouldn't be okay just because I'm like, sorry, babe, I'm a sexual four and that's how it is. So that's very much a growth edge for me. That being said, there's a little space for compassion and sometimes we can share things from a place that isn't angry or intense, but maybe it's like threatening as in that wounded withdrawal. You know what? I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to go because I'm so scared of being hurt myself. So 
that's what I was speaking to in the caption is it, it just, we need to take responsibility for the ways we show up. I think compassion and understanding is helpful and necessary from our partners, but we got to be doing the work too. Yeah. The, the part of this post that I relate to the most is wounded withdrawal because I very much, and I, it's, I feel like I've associated it more with like the way I was raised at times. But I definitely have this instinct when I feel frustrated with a a dynamic or a pattern with someone in my life that my first thought is like, okay, pull back. Um, Like it happened the other day with a friend where I was frustrated with my friend and had the desire like it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right or like doesn't feel enticing to like open up the lines of communication and just come to the table. Like it feels more, I'm more tempted to like control by pulling back or something. Mm -hmm. That's a huge part of it is the control piece. I can stay in this hurt and I'm aware Mm -hmm. of what's happening and I'm the one in the driver's seat. Mm -hmm. But if I lean in, if, if I'm vulnerable, then what? Yeah. I can feel that from you, Dan, sometimes that kind of shutting down right withdrawing a bit and it's like it what it feels like to me or the story I make up about it is that you you're like so worried that I'm not going to understand you um that you don't want even want to give me the chance to like disappoint you or something like that's how it feels but yeah. maybe that's not what it feels like. No, I mean, that's the way, you're, the way you're describing it sounds pretty classic four from what I understand of like, nobody gets me. Mm-hmm. I'm so complicated. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And what a four, I mean, fours want to be deeply understood, but something really powerful changes when it's not so much about being understood. It's about being seen. We got to show up to be seen. I like that. Justin, is there a specific memory that comes to mind of that? No, it's just more this feeling that I can kind of sense when you just, you seem like you get really gloomy and just sort of like disconnected and, and you seem like you're not very present. And then I'm like, what's going on? Like, it just, it feels like you, you want to share yourself, but then you're worried that like. I'm I'm not going to understand and you don't want to risk that or something. Yeah. Do you feel like, Justin, it would be worth uh, telling the story about when your car wouldn't start? Oh, yeah. Let's tell that one. Because that <laughs> felt like a different kind of conversation than we had ever had. Yeah. that was, I was like, what the <laughs> fuck is happening? Uh, okay. So Justin's like key, like the metal part of her car key broke off from the fob part it's of like it. one of those keys it's a volkswagen key it's like you know you press the button on the key and the key, the key blade like flips out you know mm-hmm. and um, uh she was still able to get it to start by just like wedging the fob back in there it worked uh, great <laughs> but meanwhile like every time i turn the key the plastic on the fob is like wearing away so there's like mm-hmm. no real like place for the key to like go inside and be turned. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I was on my way to hang out with my friend and um, Justin called me. I was like halfway there and asked me to come get her because the car had officially stopped that her 
her my her brilliant plan, method her method yeah it was no longer <laughs> valuable uh so i came back we tried to get the car started uh we kind of came to the conclusion that nothing was going to work um so we were going to go to the dealership i was going to drive her to the dealership and leave this car in the parking lot of a hardware store where we were and Justin said, well, I don't have my license. Um, And in that moment, like I felt the emotional reactivity of like, God damn it. (laughs) Like, and we weren't even that far from my, from the house, but I was just like, I was just so frustrated. And I said, why don't like, why don't you have it? And she, and what did you say? Do you remember? (laughs) Well, I was like, (laughs) I could sense your frustration. Mm And I was like, um, well, I know why I don't have it, but I don't think you really care why I don't have it. Like, <laughs> like what, like yeah. what you're, you're communicating to me is actually something else, you know? And yeah. so it was kind of, it was sort of like a standstill moment where like no good communication was going to happen. It was just like, so like icy. <laughs> but you us. said, you said, I said, well, I I'm concerned that you don't oh, have yeah. it. And you said, no, I don't think you're concerned. I just think that you're mad Yeah. and you don't want to say you're mad. Yeah. Cause I really felt that. And I was right. Um, <laughs> that was that you were like, you were, you were trying to, you were trying to mask your anger with concern like i'm just worried about this like this is something you should have your license on you which it is true i should have but and i felt like the thing of i don't want to be too much and say the thing that i actually want to say which is why the fuck don't you have your license (laughs) like whatever reason it cannot be like worth it to leave your license like when the downside is actually something way you know super super and then underneath your 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 anger is like fear, right? Cause you're like, can I depend on this person? Like yes. this person doesn't seem to have their shit together in the way that I think they should. So they're then, you know, getting under the anger was probably some like anxiety and fear of like, you know, then ultimately maybe abandonment of like this person doesn't mm-hmm. have their shit together. They're not going to be there for me. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> that was... I don't know if that's valuable, Amanda, for you work, uh, working with us. <laughs> It is valuable. It's, I found it interesting too for you, Dan, when you shared that you felt that emotional reactivity, but didn't share it. So even though force have that fear of being too much, often that emotional reactivity when they're angry can come out pretty quickly. Yeah. So I'm curious why it didn't. It could be subtype dependent. Um, I, sexual yeah. is more likely to come out self-preservation or social. Maybe not. I, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I've never found it easy to express anger uh, at somebody um, or with somebody. And it was, I felt something when we actually re like circled back and talked about it. And I said the thing that I actually wanted to say, because I, I don't know, there's something like, I feel really sensitive to not wanting to come down hard on people or something. Does that make sense? And it felt outside of myself to be to be expressing, hey, don't do that. Right. I think you're, yeah, I mean, and I think there's a way, like a, 
a way in the middle where you don't have to say to me, like admonish me like I'm a child and say mm-hmm. like, don't do that. How could you do that? Which is coming from like your own shame triggers of like growing up being like very forgetful, mm-hmm. you know, being the one in the family who was like, I don't know what we're doing or where we're going and I don't have like any of the things I need mm-hmm. and being shamed for that. And yeah. then sort of like eye rolled that by the rest of your family. Totally. Um, but then say, like expressing to me like, Oh, like this is so frustrating for me. Or like, I, I understand that like, this is an honest mistake, but I'm just still like so mad at you. And I just like, mm-hmm. I know that I need to like work through that. Yeah. That's helpful language. Yeah. And you'll notice in that language, it was a lot of I, mm-hmm. So I'm feeling this way. Mm-hmm. This is what's going on for me. So that immediately helps our partners not feel so defensive because we're sharing from our perspective and doing it in the way Justin just said it too. Very calm, very relaxed, very grounded. And that's what's important is when we have these feelings come up in our relationship, we need to be able to articulate them. But mm-hmm. it's terrifying through the lens of our type, through our childhood experiences and how we how we navigate those conversations in our family of origin. Many of us learned it wasn't okay for many different reasons Mm. to express ourselves. I think that's a good segue into reading the managing conflict with a type nine, which you say, give them personal attention, help them create structures and schedules for their lives to keep them on track with priorities. Ask for their cooperation rather than trying to push them around. Challenge them on their need to be comfortable and help them take risks. Be accepting, but persistent. What do you, what do you, how is it Justin reading that? Yeah, I really like that. You know, I'm, I'm really sensitive to feeling like I'm being controlled by someone, you know, having grown up in a really strict religious environment. So yeah, when it's like, when it feels collaborative, when it feels cooperative, if you're coming to me or if anyone's coming to me and saying like, I see that this, you're struggling with this, like, how can we figure this out together? Like that feels so different than like, you're doing this thing wrong and you just need to do it like this. Mm. So yeah, I like that. And I like how you kind of invite opportunities for me to, you know, let's make some time and talk about your dreams, you know, like, what do you want to see for the future? Like, what do you want for yourself? So I I like that you initiate that because I don't, I don't know if I would do that on my own and it feels nice to kind of have just like Mm. a little bit of accountability and also to feel like you care. Yeah. Um, so given that our podcast is about relationships and we do talk about romantic relationships fair amount, um, I'm just curious, are there any combinations within the Enneagram that when you see that combination, it like is more concerning or like potentially fraught (laughs) than others? You're putting me on the spot. (laughs) I I feel like the, I feel like (laughs) the proper answer (laughs) is that any two types doing the work together can work. And I do believe that. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) I've seen, I've seen in the years that I've worked with couples, some types work better together than others. And I shouldn't even say better. Maybe less intensely triggering than others. Mm -hmm. 
So even in what you're sharing right now, I mean, it's clear that you're both doing the work, but a four and nine, I just think is a really beautiful combination. Mm -hmm. And what you were just sharing, Justin, about the questions that he asks Mm -hmm. you, a nine's journey is all about waking Mm -hmm. up. They kind of represent at the top of the Enneagram, they represent how in nine different ways or in a million different ways, we all fall asleep to ourselves. Mm -hmm. But that's what the nine is struggling Mm -hmm. with is waking up to like, what is my purpose? What am I meant Mm -hmm. to do here? What do I want? What do I care about? What am I passionate about? So being paired with a four who loves depth and loves that exploration and loves asking questions it's very clear to me immediately how if you're tapped into yourselves, it's going to be a beautiful connection. Mm -hmm. And something that I do see as well, time and time again, I've never not seen it, is that what one person's gifts are, their partner is often struggling with, or it's an opportunity in their own Mm -hmm. life and vice versa. So that's something that I'll like to point out to couples too. I don't know if I want to share types that I think work well together and that don't mm, know. That feels yeah. like kind of bra- no bratty enneagram. <laughs> yeah. And I, like the integrity in me is super important, but I do like the playfulness. Mm. And that's something that in my own self, I'm trying to lean into more with this work. I remember at first I would get like pretty upset at memes with enneagram mm. just because it felt like it was taking away the depth of it. And in some ways, I think it can. But in some ways, one of my colleagues and really good friends actually pointed out to me the value in them. And I've changed my mind about Mm. that. I think the fear for me is that as Enneagram got into the mainstream world, people, it was almost like a party Mm -hmm. trick. And to me, I'm sitting here thinking, no, this is the most impactful work that I've ever Mm. done. I wouldn't be who I am today without Mm -hmm. it. So I just never want that to be lost. And... Yeah, I I could argue that any types could work well together. Makes sense. And some just might be more challenging. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily right. Bad. Like what that makes me think of is like maybe some combinations are more prone to like a cycle of rupture and repair that feels like more intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Or some pairings have like yeah. a like a steeper incline that they need to to go up together yeah definitely and it's all dependent on where you are in your level of development and again how much intentionality you're putting into creating awareness and doing the inner work with enneagram or without it but take say a type two for example the two is very much focused they're known as the people pleasers or the helpers and it's very much focused on other people's needs this overgiving of self and wanting a lot of emotional validation and attunements and you pair them with maybe a five who in their type structure is I don't have any needs I need nothing I don't want anything so it can cause a lot of pain for the two and for the five the two really wanting that closeness offering that warmth and the five leaning more Mm. cold and pulling back so those are some of the cycles that we can start to see and pay attention to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the two wants to kind of be needed, right? Often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The two wants to be needed. So it can be really confusing in a place of type structure of what is my place mm-hmm. here? And it's actually a huge growth edge for it too, right? To learn that you can be loved without being needed. Mm-hmm. That's huge and really hard to lean into. And for a five to learn that, oh, I'm actually a human and I do have needs. It's safe to express them. So again, it's 
this balance being a two and knowing that you lead as a helper it doesn't mean that your growth edge is to never help it's to maybe understand the motivation behind it Mm -hmm. am i doing it because i genuinely Mm -hmm. want to or am i doing it because i think it will get me the love that i want Mm -hmm. and that's a really good example too in using the system for growth one of the lines that we're connected to it's known as the stress line and four is connected to type two for that reason. So in times of great stress, almost like when we've exhausted all our efforts in our own type, we can take on the qualities of that type. So we don't change types, but we can start to take on those qualities. So we know when a four is struggling, when they're hard into the overgiving, the people pleasing, forgetting their own needs, overextending themselves. It's a good wake up call to connect to some of the higher qualities of type two and bring that back. Mm. To four. That's cool. I've never heard that one. I love that. I heard that a lot of women um, mistype as twos because of just like socialization. I think I tested as a two, like maybe one of the first times I took the Enneagram quiz online. Yeah. yeah. Yes. That is huge. I see it a lot too in the older generation. So my clients who are in their late 40s, 50s, 60s, in that era, women were raised to be twos. And it has led to a lot of mistyping. And typing can be hard, too. You really have to peel back the layers and explore and see what is my conditioning and then what is my actual type and what is my motivation. Mm -hmm. So, And we're still seeing that today. Women very much uh, are still being raised to be twos in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, I guess what I'm curious what your advice is to people trying to figure out their type. Um, Because I feel like there can, you know, people can take the test and get something that actually ends up not being their type. Um, So yeah, what, what do you what do you think about that? Or how can they figure it out? Yeah. So I was actually mistyped in the Enneagram because of an online test for about four years. I was typed as an eight. And like I said earlier, I lead with a four. And this is where understanding the depth is super important because what I had done almost was like, I was working on two different puzzles. I was trying to combine pieces that didn't fit, but it was pretty damn close. Mm. So as a sexual four, it's a common mistype with an eight. So eights are very much the fear of vulnerability, the desire to be strong, and this avoidance of those softer emotions. And what can be confusing as a sexual four or heart type is we essentially create an image of who we think we need to be. And I was raised to be an eight. I was raised to be strong, suck it up, don't whine, don't cry, don't share your emotions. I don't want to hear those. So I had a lot of conditioning around that. So in a lot of ways, the eight made sense for me. But then as I kept going deeper and deeper again, I was getting stuck. I was hitting these walls. Nothing was changing. And then how I actually, this was after all my training too. This is what's wild about how our unconscious is just so unconscious until it's not. I actually landed my type listening to an audio teaching from my, one of my favorite teachers, Russ Hudson. And (laughs) I had, there's an ongoing joke in the Enneagram community in that you're the type you least want to be. I really struggled with fours. I struggled with fours as clients. I felt like I just like couldn't 
help them the way that I wanted to. The way I was introduced to type four was not very nice. So that put a block up immediately. And I was in the shower listening to this audio teaching and I went to skip type four. And then I I just couldn't at that time. So I just stood there and listened. And five minutes maybe into this teaching, I was like, holy shit. And I just started laughing. I was like, I am a four. And then it was a whirlwind of an experience. So all this to say, be cautious with online tests. Because we can read things. And so I read the eight. I was like, fuck, yeah, that's what I want to be. Mm-hmm. Mm, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I Be vulnerable. You're telling me to be vulnerable? Yes, I want to be vulnerable. Mm. Where eights don't actually want to be vulnerable when they learn about that, right? Mm. So be cautious with online tests. The training that I did with the narrative Enneagram is what taught me how to take people through typing interviews. So that's what I do when I start with all of my clients. And that's actually how I confirmed my type was Uh I took myself through my own typing interview. And I was like, damn, this is so obvious. It's hilarious. How did I not see this? So that is always my highest recommendation. There's lots of providers which you can find on the Narrative Enneagram website that do it that way. But online tests can also be a great resource too. Mm -hmm. So maybe try out a few and then really dive into the learning. So listen to the podcasts, read the books. The experience is what's going to help you land in type. So Mm -hmm. not just taking it at face value. Um, I've I've seen a lot, a lot of mistyping. Mm -hmm. And even people who come to me who have been studying the Enneagram for 10, 20, 30 years, I still take them through the typing interview and I'm still finding mistyping. Mm -hmm. So, that's crazy. Yeah. 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 And I've I've experienced that with friends telling me that like when they first read their type, they were like, it like was painful or like there was some really strong reaction. Yeah. It's it's a good indicator that you might be in the right area because like I said, when I read eight, I was excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I felt excited when I read two. Cause I was like, yeah, like I just want to help people and I'm like super selfless and that's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two and nine are a really common mistype. Both are in the positive outlook group and both mm-hmm. are extremely helpful, but it's for different reasons and it happens differently Two, It's kind of this hard wiring where they're, the focus of attention is up and out to how can I help? What can I do? Where in nine, it's if someone asks them, they'll be there, but they're not necessarily on the lookout for it. So that can be a really good indicator between the two. Yeah. While we have you and considering you're you're a four and I'm a four, um, one thing I'm feeling very like in right now is like the struggle of the four to choose like gentleness and happiness. Um, and then our someone we interviewed, but we haven't released it yet. Um, our friend Sarah is also a four, and so we talked a little bit about it, but just like. There is something about like the struggle and the anguish and the, um, I don't know, like indulging in hopelessness or something with the four. Is that something you've struggled with? And what do you, what do you advise? Yeah, that's a pretty 
I don't like to speak for all types, but theory says that is one of the main patterns for a type four is this melancholy of the mind. So each type has this habit of mind where we automatically go to, and for four it's melancholy, but it's an interesting form. It's almost like this hope paired with hopelessness. So fours can think really positively, but then what can come in after is more of the hopelessness of why it would never work. And again, the compassion here is so important. As you said it, I'm like, oh man, I just hear the childhood wound. As fours, we get this unconscious message of it's not okay to be too functional or too happy. So happiness, some, and that's part of why I didn't even think I was a four. I'm like, I love being happy. I love having a good time. But I didn't realize the like swings of emotion mm. that I do have. But as a four, it just feels almost as if it's too good to be true. When is the other shoe going to drop? So being happy feels scary because then there's a lot of risk in that. Then I could really be hurt then I could really be in pain. But this pain I'm in right now that I'm controlling, at least I know what's going to happen. So mm. for force, it's very much learning to embrace the happiness, embrace the full spectrum and take that risk. I'm curious if that relates to you. Yeah. I Yeah. I mean, I feel this like, it's both like, yeah, melancholy of the mind resonates and also... It's like I'm wanting to stay in, yeah, in the like worry, uh, stay in the like concern and like the sense of like things not being right. Um, and like it keeps me in inaction, which I know it that like the four is supposed to go to a healthy one. Is that right? Yeah. So one of the lines that we're connected to, to as four is known as a security line in some of the language. So it's when we are feeling more secure in ourselves as we're really growing in our type, can we, an example would be, can we bring in the one's logic to balance mm -hmm. our emotionality? Makes can sense. we bring in their structure and their desire to move forward? Because like you said, fours can get stuck in in action. Mm. But a pattern that shows up with four, which could be part of what you're speaking to, is more of this. I say this with so much compassion, but it can be like a victim mentality. That's like, woe is mm, me. Yeah. I'm going to stay stuck in the suffering. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's right. Um, and yeah, I don't know that like the inaction. It's, it's weird. Cause I'm, I am very ambitious and it's like, I really, uh, I always want to be really working towards something, but there still feels like this hesitancy to really do. And like this, this, this like temptation to like, what's the word? Like retreat, retreat into the like thinking and feeling, um, seeking like refuge or something in like emotional inaction <laughs> yeah i'd be curious for you to reflect on it. maybe we could check in on it at a later date but fours so going back to the centers of intelligence the head heart and body mm -hmm. fours can get stuck in this head heart loop so it's almost like they disconnect from their body mm. so maybe an emotion shows up and they create a story we're really mm -hmm. great storytellers usually negative ones 
<laughs> so we create a negative story, let's say, and that creates another emotion, which creates another negative story. And then we get stuck in this loop. So four is moving into the body. The body is all about taking action. That is huge. But what can hold us back is waiting until we're in the right mood. Yes. Waiting until it feels authentic. So a four, <laughs> I like using the Nike slogan of just do it. Mm-hmm. The the meaning, the motivation, it comes after we take action. So sometimes just starting a thing. I think of mm-hmm. when I have to write blogs uh, for one of the pra- for the practice that I work at. I I'm not always in the mood to do that, but I scheduled in. I sit down. I create a scene. I set. I light my candle. I put on music, and then I get writing. And then the motivation comes. Mm. So I like using the just do it, not in a condescending way, in a really playful way of like, just try it and see what happens. Because then when we start putting ourselves out there more, it builds the confidence. It starts to change and repattern this fear and feeling that somehow we're not good enough or aren't deserving of good things in our life. I mean, as a songwriter, it's confusing because it's like, writing songs is like a lot of it is about inspiration striking or like capturing what's actually happening right now. But I feel the trap of it often is I stay in, in, in action when there are components to the songwriting that just require being in work, you know, like working. (laughs) So even with that though, what I would say is, and thinking of songwriters that I've worked with, get into your body then, right? Mm. So if, if it doesn't work to sit down and actually just start writing a song, right. get into your body, get out in nature, get out in beauty and let the inspiration come that way if that's something mm. you haven't tried before because that's when I've seen fours start really generating their ideas is when mm. they're in movement totally. and they're surrounded by things that they're really drawn to. Today I tried this and I was embarrassed that Justin told me she heard me doing it. Uh, I tried this thing from the new Rick Rubin book that he suggests, which is like letting out anger, hitting a pillow for five minutes, which is pretty long to stay like (laughs) doing it and then immediately write five pages of just just journal. And it definitely felt different. Interesting. I love that. Yeah, I could hear like in the body. I could hear like grunts and like (laughs) shouts. And I was like, I bet he's doing the pillow exercise. (laughs) (laughs) I would look out for it too, Dan, I'm not sure if this shows up for you, but a really common pattern is this inferiority complex coupled with the superiority complex. So for fours, the driving emotion is envy. And a lot of fours don't relate to that language, but envy, when they start to understand it means comparison, then it's like, ah, yes. So I've seen that really hold back fours of, it's this constant looking out of like, how do I measure up? This isn't special. This isn't unique. I shouldn't even do this. I shouldn't post. I shouldn't write the song. And it can really hold them back. Yeah. So I would look out for that. And also Google some, I mean, it's theorized, but Google some fours because some of the best songwriters in the world Mm. are said to be fours. So Totally. (laughs) No, it's it's true. I want to do that because I've, I've tried it with ENFPs and there's actually fewer ENFP songwriters than you would think Mm. um weirdly but yeah i want to try it with with enneagram justin do you have anything else no i mean i don't know if as like a final question obviously though i feel like we just i want to have you back amanda because i feel like we could talk forever and ever 
Um, I'd love to come back. <laughs> yay. Um, but I don't know if there's like one, I hate when people ask this on podcasts, but I do think it's kind of grounding for the listener. But if there's like one takeaway or nugget or even just something like right now that feels super important about Enneagram or that you want to leave people with, what would that be? If I'm going off of right now, what I appreciate so much about it is the conversation that it can create. So I'm just thinking about being in partnership and even some of what we've talked about, we can really hold ourselves back from sharing. And the Enneagram provides a really cool pathway to start to help our partners understand us and help us understand ourselves more. Something I always say to my couples when I start is it probably feels like right now one of you is speaking uh, French and the other one is speaking Spanish. I'm going to teach you how to speak the same language. So I just pictured, as you said, that a couple together and having this like Enneagram resource in front of them where they can actually just get a conversation going. I love that. I love the idea of just deeply learning one another and having these dialogues together that allow us to learn and heal and grow. And I mean, I have more energy after talking to the two of you in the last hour than I've had all day. So this is what it can do in relationship Mm -hmm. too, right? Just, it creates a lot of closeness. So I would just invite people who are interested in learning about it to buy a book, send me a message. I'll tell you some recommendations, listen to a podcast. There's a lot out there and just start learning. And people can find you. It's your handles, Enneagram Relationship, yeah, right? Enneagram in Relationship, yeah. Enneagram in Relationship on Instagram. And any other things you want people to find? I don't think so. That's the that's the main thing that I, I'm on and available with right now. So unless they're in BC, then they can yeah. find me in person if they're in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, and you're, there's just on your Instagram, there's so much useful information. I, I really recommend it, yeah. And that's our show. Thanks for joining us. Our music is by Nightlight. We self-produce this podcast, so please subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps.